Good, good morning. You guys beat me to it, huh? Good to see you guys. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. You guys are really excited this morning. In spite of the fact it's going to be 120 out there today, huh? it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter at all. Good to have you with us. How many absolutely love this time of the year, the heat of this time of the year? Ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, we'll be praying for you here at the end of the service. Come on up. Actually, I, I would, I'll take this over the high humidity and the tornadoes and the floods and, and all those other things that are happening throughout the nation. So, uh, hey, good to be here. Good to have you with us. Happy Father's Day, guys. It's a great day. It's a wonderful day. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We'll work through that chapter all the way into chapter 12. We'll land at verse 8, chapter 11, verse 1, all the way to chapter 12, verse 8. This is our Recovering Awe teaching series, Finish Strong. Finish Strong is the title of this weekend's message. Uh, A number of years ago, before I got on the fire department, I was doing uh, some 10Ks and uh, was actually training for a marathon and did a half marathon and then I thought I would try uh, some, uh, I did a biathlon out at Lake Pleasant and then I did a triathlon and it was, a, it, was a, it was called a sprint triathlon. And it was only, uh, it started off with a six-mile run, and then it was a half-mile swim, and then finished up with about a 20-mile bike ride. And uh, I learned by doing that, along with that biathlon, is that I, I, I'm not good at pacing myself. And I started the race, the run part of it, and man, I ran hard. I felt so good. Oh, I was running a pretty, pretty strong uh, mile pace. I was kind of at the front of the pack, but as soon as I hit the water for that half-mile swim there at Firebird Lake, that water's horrendous, uh, oily water, I could not catch my breath. I could not catch my breath. Instead of ducking my head under the water, I found myself dog paddling. <laughs> And I had probably at least two, three hundred people swim over the top of me, nearly drown me. And my wife, my bride, had come to watch me and cheer me on, and she was wondering why she's watching all these people get out of the water, and she started like, what is going on here? And the crazy thing about it is that finally when I drug myself out of the water, she had the insurance man on the phone. (laughs) That was really hurtful, you know how much she's going to get from my life insurance policy. And uh, but anyway, I got on the bike and and, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it it goes without saying I didn't finish strong in that. And I learned that I have to pace myself a little better. And and you know what? I find that a lot of Christians don't do a very good job at uh, pacing themselves. And oftentimes I've seen this, that Christians sometimes just get disqualified in the race of life, either because... uh, because they don't watch their doctrine or they don't watch their life very closely as Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. Or I also see people just, they just flat out burn out. Because they don't pace themselves. They're not keeping that spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And so what I want to do this morning, take a look at your notes here. I want to awaken or stir up in you the wonder and the weight of having having only one life to live and then its outcome for all eternity with no second chances. I want that to land on you just right at the very beginning of this study here this morning. Everybody on this planet, everybody in this room can be in one, are, are in one of two categories. You're either heaven bound or hell bound. 
It's the reality of what the Bible teaches us. And so I want to awaken in you that you only have one life and then the outcome of that life for eternity with no second chances. We're almost now, we're six months into the year, almost this year's almost half over. And that's crazy. And you, so just, you got to mark off the calendar, January, February, March, April, May. You, you can't repeat those. They're over. And uh, so you begin to... It's important to look at your life with a soberness that it's, it's, it's passing by, it's going, you're running out of time and that's what I want to, I want to awaken and stir up within you that wonder and the weight of having only one life to live and then it's outcome for all eternity, no second chances. So here's what it means to finish strong, it's on your notes there, to finish strong or another way to look at it, to live an unwasted life means that you are increasingly, you are increasingly enjoying and displaying Enjoying and displaying the riches of God's beauty and glory above all other things in life in every area of your life. So that would be a definition of finishing strong. Are you increasing, are you increasing in your enjoyment and display of the beauty and the glory of God over and above all other things in your life and in every area? of your life. I gave you a whole slew of verses there that you can look at. In fact, we're going to be wrapping up this teaching series next weekend, and basically he summarizes it. The bottom line is fear God and keep his commandments. Kind of goes along with this. If you want to finish strong, fear God, keep his commandments. We'll look at what that means, but I I believe it means this right here, increasingly enjoying and, and displaying the riches of God's glory, beauty, and glory above all things in every area of your life. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Of God, an interesting verse here too. Uh, Matthew twenty four twelve through thirteen is it's pretty interesting because Jesus is giving his eschatology. Un- end times is what eschatology means. He's just talking about end times. These, these are the things that are going to happen as the end is coming, and uh, this is what you need to be aware of. And then he says something in there. He says, "And the love of many will do what? Wax will wax cold. Will grow cold. But he who endures to the end." will be saved. So when you look at that, he's making a contrast here. Your love for God and for others is either going to wax cold, get cold, or it's going to be moving in the direction of increasing in in passion and in intensity. That's what we're talking about here. That's how you're going to finish strong. It's having a passion for God that exceeds all other passions. He becomes the priority and your greatest pursuit for your life. We live in a society today that's dominated by the philosophy of existentialism. Existentialism basically says this, that you define your reason for existence. And we know that the Bible says, no, God defines our reason for existence. And so, so if I were to ask you this question, if I come up to you and say, so why do you exist? Why are you here? And if you believe in that your origin is from God, you're created by God, why are you here? You're created by God, for God, to give glory to God. That's why you are here. The Bible is very clear about that. And this is what I learned a number of years ago that was just, it was stunning. And it's been life revolutionary for me. And that is that 
God is most glorified in me. If that's my purpose in life and my life is to be live for his glory, that God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. And so my satisfaction and his glory are one and the same pursuit. That's why we say around here a lot is that fullness of life and full devotion to Christ are one and the same. You want to find the deepest satisfaction to your soul in a, in a life that is liberated beyond any other kind of life, you're gonna find it by pursuing him, by knowing God and experiencing him in your life. And so take a look at your notes again. So here's kind of, as we wrap up this book here the, this week and next week, heading toward the finish line of both his life and this book, Solomon, as a remorseful, burned-out old man, urges us to seek God while we are young and stick close to him all the days of our life because apart from God, life is meaningless. That's that word vanity 38 times in the book. It's, it's a big zero. Now, you might not, if you don't believe that this morning, that life is meaningless apart from God, it's because you're still on a pursuit thinking that whatever you're pursuing is going to make you happy, but it's just a matter of time. It's, it's, it's going to be fleeting, It's not going to last like the happiness that can be found in him. And that's the point that he's he's making. The wealthiest, wisest, sexiest guy who ever walked this planet Earth, Solomon, he's telling us, he's saying, listen to me, none of that stuff satisfies like God. That's why he finishes it by saying, fear God and keep his commandments because that's where you're going to find the deepest satisfaction that your heart longs for. So let me give you a disclaimer here before we pray and then we'll, we'll start working through this text, unpack these notes. The, the disclaimer is this. The methods that follow don't earn you favor with God. What I'm gonna share with you, this does not earn favor with God. You have favor with God through your faith in Jesus Christ. You have all the favor that you will ever need. What I'm gonna talk about here, they flow from favor with God, from being already loved, forgiven, reconciled, and empowered by his presence. So always keep that in mind as we work through this. Because I'm gonna push you really hard. I'm all rested up and I'm kind of feisty this morning, okay? So uh, I'm gonna push you. I'm going to push you hard, but keep in mind, it's coming out of the fact that you already have favor with God. So just keep that in mind. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, take a look at this text and unpack these notes. God, we are delighted to be here today. We love your presence. We love worshiping you through song, and now we worship you through the study of your word, scripture, and um, Father God, it's, it's our union and communion with you by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross that enables us to finish strong and live unwasted lives. It's not the other way around. We don't have to earn your favor. We have your favor, and out of that abundance, may we live for your glory. Teach us through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, how to increasingly enjoy and display the riches of your beauty and glory above all other things in every area of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. So take a look at this. So you will finish strong when, let's begin reading Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6. This is God's word to us this morning. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. How many are familiar with that verse? It's somewhat of a common verse where people will kind of throw out there from time to time. Verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth 
earth. So here's the idea here. Let me explain this. Once again, this is uh, wisdom literature, poetry, hard to understand. Got to kind of work, work through it a little bit. In Solomon's day, merchants would load their ships with grain and other goods and send them out to trade with other peoples in hope that the ships would return with even more valuable goods. And you'll notice the, the plural, waters. He says, cast your bread upon the waters, and you'll also notice it in verse 2. He says, give a portion to seven or even eight. This indicated the wisdom of not sending all your grain in one ship in one direction. In other words, what he's saying here is diversify your investments so that if one ship isn't successful, others might be. That's what he's saying here. So he's talking about investing our lives, so diversify your investments. Now look at verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. So he's, he's talking about He's talking about the uncertainties of life and how it can kind of immobilize you. And so he says, he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What he's saying here is that we don't know which way or how hard the wind may blow, blowing trees over or where the rain may fall, but don't let the uncertainties of life immobilize you is what he's saying here. Because we can, it's so easy for us to fall prey to making excuses about our lives make excuses about our marriages, our, fa our finances, our er anything. We can just make excuses about it and continue to live in the same old way it's always been rather than to do something about it. That's what he's talking about here. And then he talks more about the uncertainties of life in verse 5. He says, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child. Isn't that interesting that he'd talk about that? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. We just uh, celebrated uh, the birth of our ninth grandchild, and uh, so we've got how many, seven, eight, nine, okay, seven boys and two little, sweet little girls, and uh, it's, it's, it's crazy, all, all the distinct personalities and the, the, the spirit, that God's spirit, that's what he's saying, and you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So notice what he says here. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So, there's a, so he's talking, there's a lot of uncertainties in life. And by the way, you can't really even figure out God. There's a lot of uncertainties as it relates to God. So, so what he's wanting us to understand, let me, let me press this point just a little bit further. Though life is filled with uncertainties from our vantage point, God is in control is what he's saying here. Does that make sense? That's pretty important. There's a lot of uncertainty. Sometimes my head's spinning around and I don't know what's going on and why did this happen and what is this about? God's in control. See, many of our most difficult emotions, bad attitudes and foolish actions come from losing our grip at that moment on who God is. I mean, it looks like it's out of control, but the Bible says, no, 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 God's still in control. God's in control. And in fact, because God is sovereign, listen to me, look up here, because God is sovereign, your life is never out of control. Because God is sovereign, your life is never out of control. And because he's your savior, if indeed he is, he gives you what you need when life is beyond your control. 
So if he's sovereign, your life is never out of control. If he's your savior, then he gives you what you need when life is beyond your control. Thank God for that. So therefore, you don't have to be all worked up over the circumstances of life. The more you accept the fact that nothing is out of God's loving, wise control, the more you can relax and rest in him and not sink under anxiety. Yeah, you don't. You don't need to do that. You can rest in him. That's the big idea here. And what it does is it immobilizes us and keeps us from doing the things that God wants us to do. Because look what he says in verse 6. In the morning sow your seed and in the evening withhold not your hand. New Living Translation puts it this way. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Now, okay, so here's your point. You will, and I've got five big ideas as we work through this text. Here's the first big idea, and then I've got a number of little sub-statements after each of these. But you will finish strong when you endow or invest your life strategically. That's the point that he's making. When you invest your life strategically, so let me add to that thought, anything of value in life doesn't happen by chance, but by choice. There's the next couple fill in the blanks. So anything of value in life doesn't happen by chance, but by choice through discipline over time. So you want to have a strong marriage, you want to have great financial uh, welfare, you want to have, what, what do you want to get better at in your life? It's not going to happen by chance. You've got to make some choices. That's what he's saying. And stop with the uncertainties of life. Yeah, life is uncertain. You don't know how it's all going to go down, but you keep sowing. You keep going after it. That's the point that he's making here. Proverbs 29, 18, it says, without vision, the people perish. You need to have vision. Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. You need to have that in every area of your life. That's why I love what uh, God says to the people of Israel in exile in Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But a couple verses after that, he says, but you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Sow seeds that will help to increase your, your love for me and experience of me because I have some great things in store for you. That's what he's saying. And uh, the possibility of transformation is the essence of the gospel. So if you're serious about transformation, you will have to enter into a life of, of discipline. Basically, that word is from the word disciple. If you're a disciple of Christ, follower of Christ, you're going to be disciplined. Discipline simply means arranging your life around activities that enable you to succeed. So you're going to do those things that help you to succeed in whatever area of life you want to succeed. So here's what he's saying. Let me, let me press you on this. Stop making excuses. Stop making excuses about your life, your singleness and how lonely you are, or, or your married life and how lonely you are, or, or your finances, or your physical, or spiritual, or emotional well-being. Stop making excuses. Do something about it. He's saying, do something, sow seeds. Yes, life is uncertain, but keep moving. Keep heading in that direction. These are not going to happen by chance. It's going to happen by choice, through discipline. Over time, you become what you are committed to. What are you committed to? If you're committed to nothing, you're gonna, that's what you're going to be. Nothing, zero. If you're committed to just watching TV all the time, that's, 
You're going to be good at watching TV or surfing the internet or whatever it might be. What do you want to be good at? What do you want to grow in? Now, let me ask you this. What is one thing that if you were committed to it would make a difference in every area of your life? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know the answer to that question. What is one thing, if you were committed to that one thing, it would make a difference in every area of your life? Real quick, ask the person next to you and see if they know what the answer is. This, that answer is pretty obvious, okay? You guys, you guys thinking maybe obvious? Is he trying to trick us? No, no, I'm not trying to trick you at all. How many were thinking, God? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. You guys familiar with this verse? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what, what, what will happen as a result of it. All things will be, all of this, all that, all that's going to be taken. That's the most important thing you can do. That's why I was saying right at the very beginning, if you want to finish strong, if you want to finish strong, then what do you need to do? You need to increase enjoying and displaying the riches of God's glory and beauty above all other things in your life. And I'll guarantee you, it's going to make a difference in your life personally, spiritually, emotionally, every dimension of your life. In other words, arrange your life around the activities that enable you to succeed in your relationship with God. Now, let me just, uh, a little time of confession here. Uh, not only do I not pace myself well when I'm working out or anything like that, but I don't pace myself in life in general. And typically, uh, one of the reasons why I took two weeks off is typically this time of the year I only take one week off, but I desperately needed two weeks off, okay? And it was because I had only had one weekend off since the beginning of the year. I don't know if you guys understood that, but, I, but typically I'll take multiple weekends off just for my own sanity and for your sanity too, Okay? And I'll tell you what, Darren did a fabulous job the two weeks, didn't he? He did a fantastic job. Great studies. We snuck in here Saturday night. It was so nice just being able to come in here and just kind of soak and absorb. Uh, last Saturday night, right in here, sat back here, snuck in, snuck out really quick. And, uh, and so, boy, it was good. But here's what I had to do. It took me one whole week to get to a place after I took off just to get a sense of that sweet spot once again in my life with him. Isn't that crazy? It doesn't usually take me that long. But it just shows, it kind of shows you that I was kind of numbed out a little bit. I could say, I could tell you, hey, God loves you. I could tell myself, hey, God loves me. But there was a major disparity between what I was saying and what I was experiencing in my life. And it's because I just, I wasn't pacing myself very well. And I needed desperately. And so I told Darren, Darren, you're going to have to cover me for a couple weekends. And you don't mind that. Well, you don't have a choice. And... Uh, <laughs> I said, you will do it. <laughs> and, uh, and I gave him some pretty hard, that was a pretty hard text. This is a hard book. And he did a fabulous job with that. But I'll tell you what, it took me about a week within that first week for me to get a sense of the presence of God once again in my life. Oh my goodness, it was so sweet. A couple of verses that come to mind for me, two of my favorites, is Psalm 34, 8, where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So it took me a week. And by the way, that week was a time I, I was arranging, I arranged my life around activities that enabled me so that I could begin to experience that. It took me all week long as I studied God's word, as I fasted, as I prayed, as I did all these things. And then by the end of the week, oh, the sweetness of his presence. I had a sense of it on my heart. There's another verse here. Uh, it's Psalm 63.3. Psalm 63.3. It's on your notes, I'm sure. 
but it says, his steadfast love is better than life. So, so here's the point that I'm trying to make is that it's one thing to know that he loves you. It's altogether another thing to have a sense of his love on your heart. It's one thing to know that mother load chocolate cake is sweet. It's altogether another to have it on the palate in your mouth and enjoying it. Does that make sense? Or coconut cream pie or whatever it is. It's one thing to know in your head, but to experience it in your heart. Ooh. So this is what, I, this is what he's telling us. So, so arrange your life around those activities that will help you this summer to experience more of his love. And by the way, we're going to do that. After this series is over, we're going to kick off a brand new teaching series that I just want you to be lavished in the love of God. We're going to spend, what's the greatest chapter in the Bible? What would you call the greatest chapter in the Bible? Anybody? That's a good, that's a good one. I think, I think Romans 8 is the, the greatest chapter in the Bible. We're going to spend about 10 weeks just in Romans 8. I mean, any chapter that starts off by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, and then it just gets better as you walk through that chapter. We're going to spend 10 weeks just in that chapter. And this is what I would encourage you to do, is to begin to meditate, reflect, read, read that every day. I'm telling you, when you begin to soak in the reality of God's presence, it's going to go from your head down into your heart, and you're going to be living in the sweet spot of his presence. I love his presence. That's the best thing about the Christian life, to have a sense of his presence, to, to have this uh, conscious, habitual awareness that he's, he loves me, he cares about me. And to live there. Now, many times, I don't sense it, but I know it, and I have to go back to the scriptures and continue to live that out. But boy, I want to experience that. And I know you do too. And so that's what he's talking about here. Sow those seeds. He says, uh, as he says here, in the morning, sow your seed, and at the evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So, okay. I've read the Bible, it's so hard. Okay, okay, you've read the Bible, it's so hard. Do something else. Get it, get it into your mind, in your heart some other way. Get into a small group. Whatever it is, keep, keep at it. Don't stop. Okay, we got a whole lot more to talk about here this morning, okay? So I can't just stay right there. Look at verses seven and eight. He says, light is sweet. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. I, I have... Uh, relatives that live in Seattle and they get as much overcast as we get sun, sunlight and sunshine. I'll take the sunshine, thank you very much, even on these hot days because you give me two or three days of overcast and I'm not doing so well, okay? I, I don't like that. I don't like overcast, but this is what he's saying. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Once again, he says, but if you're going to do this, minus God, it's a big zero. It's emptiness. But notice what he says at the end of this. He says, live with the current perspective of eternity. Yes, enjoy life. Celebrate each and every day. But do that with a current perspective of eternity. Your life's coming to an end. That's what he's saying here. Here's the next point. So point number two, you will finish strong when you... Invest your life strategically, and number two, experience each day fully. Experience each day fully. He says, let him rejoice in them all with a current perspective of eternity. 
So here's your next fill in the blanks. Let me elaborate on that. Never take for granted the gift from God of living another day. Anyone who has had a close brush with death or is living with a life-threatening illness knows the truth of that statement. There are a number of people that are living with life-threatening illnesses right here in our fellowship. And believe me, when I see them, they light me on fire because they celebrate every day. And I'm thinking, man, I need to get better at doing that. They're just excited. I got another day. God gave me another day. I'm going to live for his glory. That's the idea. Now, what is it that keeps us from living in the moment, living in the, in the, in the right now? Regret over the past and anxiety over the future. We tend to get so busy with that two things and we fail to live in the moment and really enjoy each and every day. No amount of regret, here's your fill in the blank, no amount of regret can change the past no amount of anxiety can change the future, but any amount of gratitude can change the present and help us to be fully present. Okay? So, so here's what I find interesting here at Desert Breeze is that when I'm out, when I'm talking, that you get, there are people that are here, they're here, they're here, but they're not really here, okay? So some of you are here, but you're not really here. But then just now, you came back and you're here now, Okay? <laughs> He says, I was saying that, you go, you go, oh, what did he say? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So now you're here, but then in a few moments, you won't be here anymore, okay? But, uh, but uh, I, I understand. I, and, and sometimes I even see people fall asleep here in the service. They fall asleep. And I, I've said, if this is the best sleep you get all week, praise God. <laughs> if I can be of assistance, I've actually had people say that, that I, I help them to go to sleep at night. I go, how's that? I listen to your sermons. <laughs> And I said, that's, that's crazy. That's how ironic that is because my wife also goes to sleep while I'm talking. And uh, <laughs> that's hurtful, okay? That's really hurtful. But I, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. If that's the best sleep you get all week, praise God. Praise God. Maybe some of that subliminally will get in there and it'll begin to transform your life. But, but how do you live in the now, right now? And there's things that will take us out of that, really experiencing the moment. I don't think we're good at that. Listen to what Randy Alcorn says in his book, Happiness. Uh, he quotes Ellen Vaughn. Ellen Vaughn says, gratitude unleashes the freedom to live content in the moment rather than being anxious about the future, regretting the past. And then Randy goes on in this book and says, God isn't just in the monumental moments his artistry makes even the ordinary exceptional. The sparkle of raindrops, the artistry of spider webs, the sound of an acoustic guitar, a child's laugh, swing sets, sprinklers, the smell of, a, of split cedar, and songs about surfing. Beach Boys, Beach Boys there. Uh, Colorful birds and exotic fish, stars that declare God's glory, little leagues, skiing, ping pong, long hot showers, a slam dunk in Disneyland, maple syrup, green, uh, fresh green beans, buttermilk biscuits, and homemade strawberry jam. Aspirin, artificial limbs, wheelchairs, and synthetic insulin, ripe oranges, straight off the tree, chocolate chip cookies, hot out of the oven, and a tall glass of cold milk, a comfortable recliner, the smell of leather upholstery, and a dog's wagging tail. Now listen to what he says. He says, if we disregard these and thousands of other gifts, we don't just fail to notice them, we fail to notice God. 
God's goodness is always evident if we look in the right place. He's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live, move, and have our being, Acts 17, 27, and 28. That's good stuff. I want to experience more of the life that God has for me and live in the moment. And, uh, and by the way, you guys know this, that the, the gospel doesn't only just take care of our past, thank God for that, but it takes care of our future so that we can learn to live in the present. And he gives us what we need for the present also. It tells us in 2 Peter 1.3, listen to this, this is good stuff, oh my goodness. His divine power has given us everything Thing we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. The word knowledge is intimacy with him through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and goodness. Yes. Right now, right here and now, he deals with our past, deals with our future, and our right here and now. What are you facing? What are you struggling over? He, he, his presence, his presence is here this morning and, and in your life and with your life if you will recognize it and enjoy it and then begins to show his beauty and glory more and more. And that's, that's what it's about. And what will happen is that you'll begin to experience more of Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. And 1 Thessalonians 5.18, giving thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And then here's another one you can add to that, Proverbs 15.15, 15, all the days of the afflicted, Afflicted, regret over the past, anxiety about the future, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Now, look at verses 9 and 10. We're almost finished up with this chapter. And, and so Solomon now is going to pick on the young people. So how many young people do we have in the house? Show of hands. Some of you. Some of you. Yay, yay. Come on. M most of those that raise their hands are not young people, okay? I'm just going to tell you right now. Okay, you're not a young, let's define young people before I ha have you raise your hand. So, so here's the definition of young person. A young person would be anybody that is 33 years and younger. <laughs> 33, why would I pick 33 and younger? Okay, what, what age do you think will be in heaven? I think they're going to be 33. That's where Jesus is. That's where he, he died, resurrected from the grave. He's got his that his body now that he has it. 33 is that age where most athletes peak out. I think that's where we're going to be. I mean, uh, it's speculation, but it's well-founded. I mean, when you study through Scripture. So I think it's going to be 33. That's when I looked my best. <laughs> Actually, I looked my best when I was 12, okay? <laughs> After that, it was all downhill. <laughs> well, okay, so 30, 33 and below. How many are 33 and below? Okay. Okay, 33 and below, okay. Boy, there's a lot of 33 and below right over here on this side. You guys are all old over here. Okay, so this is, the, he's gonna pick on, on the young people here. Now listen to what he says. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. This is not a follow your heart, be true to yourself, that our world says, because look at the next verse, next part of that verse. He says, but know that for all your things, God will bring you into judgment. So it's not, it's not follow your heart, be true to yourself. It's follow your heart as consistent with how God has wired you up and who you are as God defines you, not as you define yourself. That's the point that he's making. Now check this next 
thing that he says. This is pretty, uh, pretty intense, pretty important. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Okay, so here's, here's the third idea here. So if you are gonna finish strong, you will finish strong when you enjoy your youth honorably. That's what he's saying here. Enjoy your youth honorably. Deal with your junk when you're young and don't wait Oh, and, and don't add to it, I'm sorry, and don't add to it through folly because the older you get, the more it will cost you. Okay, that's, no, that's, that's a long statement, but there's a lot to that. So let me say it again. So enjoy your youth honorably. Deal with your junk. Now, I would like to say that my wife and I were perfect in the way that we raised our kids and we sent them out perfect in every way, but that we know that that's not true. And so the first thing that we said as they were leaving the nest is that we will pay for all of your counseling for, for any damage that we have done, okay? So we've got a, a, an ongoing tab. We'll pay for anything because we know that we weren't perfect. And so whatever struggles, but we, we said to them, but get, but get help. Get help. Don't let that stuff continue on in your life. None of us came from perfect homes. And so what he's saying here, he's saying remove vexation from your heart. Deal with it. Don't, don't blame mom and dad, you know, the rest of your life. Go get help. Go get counseling. Go, go sort through that. Because believe me, I'm going to be 60 this year. I've seen a lot of train wrecks because people haven't dealt with their junk. And they just keep adding to that junk. And then through their folly, they just keep making stupid choices and, and mistakes. And they just add to that. Oh, my goodness. They got, a, they got a semi-load of junk that they could have minimized that. They could have limited that if they, would have, if they would have come back and got the help. That's what he's saying here. So enjoy your youth honorably. Deal with your junk when you're young. And don't add to it through folly because the older you get, the more it will cost you. Galatians 6, 7 through 9, it kind of goes along with this. It says, God cannot be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The question isn't, are you sowing? But what are you sowing? Every day we're sowing. Every day we're sowing into our lives. So what are you sowing? He says, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. If you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. And you'll always reap what you sow more than you sow later than you sow. So today you're sowing. What are you sowing to? You're going to sow to the flesh. You're going to sow to the, to the spirit. Hosea 8, 7 says, if you sow the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. You're going to reap the tornado. Now, this is what I've heard people say. Excuse my brashness here just a minute, okay? But I've, I've heard people say this. I want to first have a little fun, and then later on in life I'll get serious about God. And what I've always wanted to say to them, are you insane? Did a rock fall on your head? What the heck are you thinking? You don't even know what fun is. Now, that's what I want to say, but I don't typically say it quite like that. I say something like, you're not thinking clearly. <laughs> and if I really know you well, I might say, did a rock fall on your head? I mean, that's, that's what I want, because you don't even know what fun is. You mean to tell me you're going to find something out there more satisfying than God? You're not thinking clearly. That's, that's what he's wanting us to understand. 
I'm going to first have a little fun, and then later on in life, I'll get serious about God. Why would you do that? Oh, my goodness. You're not, only, not only are you not dealing with your junk, but you're adding to your junk. You're going to take that right into whatever relationships you're moving into and going to. You're, you're going to really, you've got a rude awakening awaiting you. You're going to go through a number of relationships before you finally come to your senses, possibly. I, I hope you do. Hebrews 12, 16 through 17, it says, Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. That's what you're doing. You're selling your birthright for a single meal, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. He sought repentance, but couldn't find it. It was too late. You think you're going to come back to God later on in your life? Probably not. Probably not. And it breaks my heart that you would be so deceived to think that there's something out there that's this better, more satisfying, more desirable than God. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I know I, I've been right there with you. I've, I've oftentimes thought and kind of, you know, as I've meditated on things, I begin to realize, wait, Fortunately, by God's grace, he would bring me right back and say, what are you thinking, man? You're not thinking. Let me define for you uh, sin. Jeremiah 2.13 probably gives us probably the best definition of sin or wickedness. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed or dug out cisterns or dug out wells for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So here's what he's saying. In Jeremiah 2.13, he says that uh, sin, so sin, I'm going to go out and have a little fun, and then I'll come back to God later on in my life. So that sin is the suicidal exchange of the fountain of living water, Christ, for broken cisterns that can't hold water. Anything that is more fascinating or desirable or satisfying to you than Christ is because your mind and heart is being deceived and distorted by sin. If you could see who Christ is and what he's done for you, oh my goodness, pedal to the metal, wide open, you're gonna go for him. You're gonna wanna increase in your heart and appetite for him. Now we move into Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. He says, he says, remember. He's kind of adding to this. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And the idea of remember is more than just intellectual. It's a mind, our intellect, emotion, and will. So it's a full commitment of our whole person. So he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before. Notice what he says, before the evil days. It's inevitable. Evil days, suffering, before the evil days come and the years drawn near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Life's beating the living daylights out of me. Yeah, no kidding. Because you are not prepared for the, for the suffering that is in store for you living in a broken, fallen world because you have no spiritual equity because you didn't remember your creator in the days of your youth. He says, I have, you're going to say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Hey, close your eyes just for a moment. Just close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes just for a moment. I want you to just imagine. I want to define for you this, 
this idea that he's talking about here, the creator. Creator, creator. There is an absolutely sovereign, transcendently pure, self-existing, self-sustaining, incomparably beautiful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-governing, all-upholding, all-defining, infinitely valuable, all-satisfying God who created you to know him sincerely and to treasure him supremely. See, it's in him. This is the love This is the security. This is the significance you've been looking for your whole life. Okay, open your eyes, look up here. So this is what you need to keep in mind. It's your concept of God that determines the quality of your relationship with him. And it's your concept of God that also determines your ability to overcome the trauma and the temptations of life. Boy, if you could begin to get a glimpse of the God who loves you, adores you, gave his life for you. That's why I love the, the courage of, uh, in Daniel, uh, the three Hebrew dudes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not gonna bow down to any idol. And, and in essence, let me summarize it and paraphrase it for you. They basically said to the, the king, are you kidding me? We're not bound down because our God can save us. He will save us. And even if he doesn't save us, we're not bound down. We're serving him. And so there's this, there's this tenacity. There's this courage. There's this uh, contentment that we can have in, in our understanding of who God is in our lives. And, and basically... What they're saying is that he can save us from the fiery furnace. He can save us in the fiery furnace by being with us, or he can save us through the fiery furnace. He might take us to be with him through the fiery furnace. It doesn't matter. Our lives are in his hands. See, suffering will be unbearable. And suffering is, you're going to experience suffering in this broken, fallen world, but suffering will be unbearable if you don't know that God is for you and with you. So you need to arrange your lifestyle around the activities that will help you to know that deep in your heart. What are those things that you do? By the way, another teaching series after, this is why I like to take off because I I think about a little bit where we're headed. So we're gonna talk about Romans chapter eight for about 10 weeks and then we're gonna go into one calling it Thrive and we're gonna talk about spiritual disciplines, habits, of grace. So how how do you do that? How do you increase your appetite for God? Well, we're going to talk about that. We'll spend another 10 weeks just on that before we head into the gospel according to Luke and and dive into that study. So we got some really good studies in store for us. Man, I can hardly wait. I love studying God's word. And so encounter God wholeheartedly. That's the point here. Christianity gives you a meaning in life that the worst suffering in this world can't take and the greatest success in this world can't give. What is this indestructible meaning? Relationship with God. And in that relationship, my bad things will work out for my good. My truly good things can never be taken from me and the best is yet to come. We talked about that in the very first of this series. It was Easter weekend on meaning. See, if you have truly encountered God, if you have truly encountered God wholeheartedly and are walking in vital communion with him, you don't ultimately care. I know it sounds crazy. You don't ultimately care if life goes the way you want it as long as you have him because nothing compares, competes, or completes you like the wealth of his presence, the comfort of his love, the strength of his power, and the identity of being called his 
child. Now, we end by picking on old people, okay? Sorry. But everybody that's uh, kind of 34 and older, this is where you're headed. This is where you're headed. This is when your body starts breaking down, right? So as soon as you hit 34, it starts falling apart. Wheels come off the cart, okay? Uh, Well, maybe not that fast. I hope it doesn't happen that fast. But Solomon paints a poetic picture of the signs of growing old. Here it is. Verse 3, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, what is he talking about there? He's talking about arms and hands trembling. And the strong men are bent. You walk bent over. And the grinders cease because they are few. What is he talking about there? Our teeth. Loss of teeth. Grinders. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. Eyesight. Eyesight fails. And the doors on the street are shut, refers to loss of hearing. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird. You can't sleep and you're up at four o'clock in the morning with the birds. How many are there? (laughs) Now, my wife and I used to uh, make fun of Sun City folks that they would eat dinner at four o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) And guess what we're doing now? We eat dinner at four o'clock in the afternoon, go to bed at about nine o'clock, and I'm up with the birds at four. That's what he's talking about here. Anybody else there? You guys are getting old. And he says, and all the daughters of song are brought low. Our voice begins to quiver and weaken. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way, fear of heights because of loss of agility. The almond tree blossoms. Hair's turning white, or loss of hair. The grasshopper drags itself along. I've seen how some of you kind of drag yourself along. He's describing you right here. Loss of energy. Look at the next one. And desire fails, decreased sex drive. Oh, I heard over here someone say, oh... These are all those that are below 33. (laughs) That's messed up. (laughs) Oh. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Our funeral procession is what he's talking about here. Notice how he describes death. You know, we use the term kick the bucket or whatever. Listen to his descriptive words. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken... Or the picture is the picture is shattered at the fountain. Oop, his picture got shattered at the fountain. Or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was. The spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. In other words, you're gonna face you're gonna face suffering and death without God. You're gonna come up empty. It's meaningless. But what does that say if we have God? There's meaning. There's meaning behind everything that we experience and we go through. Got a phone call this last week from a DB family member struggling with aging parents that both have dementia and they're placed in a, a nursing home and then uh, her father had to be taken out into a behavior health and she just asked me because I've, I've gone through that and she was just asking me, how do, you, how do you deal with that? And I said, well, first of all, you better get ready to cry a whole lot. I says, it's It's horrible. 
It's, it's a, you know, if you, lose, if you lose parents or lose a loved one, it's done and it's over and you can move on. But when the, you're gradually losing them over time, it's an ambiguous loss is what they call it. It's harder. And, and I went on and I said, but the one, the one who parted the Red Sea is with you. And he loves you and he's going to get you through this. And this, uh, this guy was saying, so why, why does God allow this horrible process of death? And I, I, I was just kind of, we, I talked and thought about this a little bit more. Suffering is a reminder this world is not the way it's supposed to be because of man's rebellion against God. But also suffering drives you into, into your Father God's loving arms and shows you resources you never knew you had and never knew you needed. There are resources in him. They drive you into him. Suffering makes you long for the new heavens and the new earth where God will personally wipe away all of our tears and heal all of our wounds and answer all of our questions, Revelations 21, 22. So here's your point. Embrace your age gracefully. And this is how you do it. Pour your life into the next generation by showing them that Christ is more satisfying than all that life can give or suffering and death can take. Here's a verse I didn't put it on your notes. You can write this down. Psalm 71, 18. Psalm 71, 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Aging is simply a ripening for the kingdom of God. The longer you genuinely walk with Christ, the more you have to offer. So if you walk with him, you've got more to offer the next generation. I, I had a, a, a guy in our men's Thursday Bible study, he's a retired guy from APS, and he said, man, he says, if you're bored, whether you're retired or not, then you're lazy because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Get busy. So even those of us that are getting older, we, we have a greater sense of God's presence. We should, and a greater love for God, and know that none of the stuff on this planet can satisfy like him. And though, even if God takes it all away from us, he's still more satisfying than anything. And Philippians 1, 20 through 26, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. What Paul is saying there, kind of his purpose statement, it's our purpose statement also for life. It's why we exist. I want to live and die in such a way that Christ will be made to look as supremely great and good as he really is. So living an unwasted life, finishing strong, is living your life in such a way that how you handle life's gifts, your money, your time, your talents, your possessions, your singleness, your being married or having children, and how you handle the loss of life's gifts, growing old, cancer, battling cancer, divorce, job loss, financial collapse, that when people look at your life, they will infer from your life by watching your life and how you respond to both the successes and, and sufferings of life, they will infer from your life that Jesus is more valuable than anything. And they're going to want what you have. You should be asking, we should be asking ourselves, how do I do this, whether it be successes or sufferings, in such a way that Jesus looks more valuable than my successes and suffering? That's what he's called us to. And that's how you make your life count, and that's how you finish strong. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you. Thank you so much for the reminder that we exist to increasingly enjoy and display your beauty and glory. And the apex of your glory is, is you spending yourself at the cost of your son's life so that by grace, through faith in Christ, 
You free us from ourselves so that we can live our lives making much of you. The most rapturous delights we have ever had in the, in the beauty of a landscape or in the pleasure of food or in the fulfillment of a loving embrace are a dim glimpse or a dim glimpse compared to the bottomless ocean of joy that we have in you. So may we finish strong and live unwasted lives by investing our lives strategically, experiencing each day fully, enjoying our youth honorably and encountering you wholeheartedly and embracing our age gracefully for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Love you guys. See you next weekend.